It's championship season in the Atlantic League, and we are going to break down everything that's happened in the postseason to this point here on this episode of the Indie Ball Report Podcast. We're back again, episode number 136 of the Indie Ball Report podcast. And let me just tell you, folks, the behind the scenes on this one is not fun. Normally, it's kind of fun. Normally, there's bullshitting like 20 minutes leading up into the actual show. Today, it's just been an hour of tech problems. So, miserable experience so far. Yeah, not, not today. Uh, certain, certainly not the fun today. And that's just, you know, that, that's the stuff, that, the problems that go on behind the scenes. But you know what? We're working hard to bring you the Atlantic League Championship Series preview that you all deserve. So uh, I'm excited to get into that now that Nick's computer is finally working. Oh, yeah. It, like when I tell you, you folk at home that this has just been a royal pain in the ass, I really do mean it's been a royal pain in the ass every step of the way, really. As, uh, well, <clears throat> I'm still not at the point where I'm like, have everything set up normally i have all the tabs open everything's all set to go and that way i could just flick between my chrome tab and the audacity tab to make sure everything's recording smoothly and there's no issues we don't have that luxury today so right now we're going to just try and get into as much of the recap as humanly possible here as i open up box scores and get everything set behind the scenes but like we mentioned it is the atlantic league preview we're going to recap round one, then we're going to get in to the championship series, and then we are going to leave you off there, because that's really the only thing of value that has happened so far uh, to this point this week. Let's just get right into that. The Atlantic League Divisional Series, as they believe they call it, we had the Dirty Birds, we had the Legends in the South and in the North, we had the Long Island Ducks and the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs, that's right, the Blue Crabs managed to win up that last spot. Uh, over high point by uh, a win and a uh, and a Long Island loss, they got everything they needed, if I'm not mistaken. So they managed to claim that final final playoff berth. So good for them on that front. But uh, they didn't really exactly have the longest day in the postseason. They managed to force a game three after well playing all right. I think they played okay in their uh, short playoff stay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it, the Blue Crabs, at least, going into game one, uh, I didn't expect a whole lot from them in this series, to be to be quite honest with you, Nick. And yeah. uh, they and to my surprise, they they went to Long Island, and they did have the advantage of getting two home games. So uh, at least they had at least they had that going for them. Uh, but they went to Long Island and stunned the Ducks in, in the playoffs, which is really hard to do, and you don't see a lot of teams do it. Uh, and so they certainly get a lot of credit for that. Uh, they hit Darren Downs pretty well. Uh, and Kyle Murphy, uh, a guy who, leading up to this year, in the beginning of this year, was a uh, was a Friday night starter at Northeastern University. So I, I think that just shows uh, really how different the Atlantic League is this year in a lot of ways, uh, that these guys are starting now playoff games in the Atlantic League. Uh, but this pitcher, Kyle Murphy, uh, who, and let me, and I, I've actually seen, before this game, I've actually seen three Kyle Murphy starts this year. 
And but two of them were against Hofstra, uh, where, where I go to college when he was at Northeastern. He was one of the better pitchers in the conference. Uh, and then also, he pitched for uh, a men's league team. Uh, he, he pitched for a men's league team and scrimmaged the Cape Cod League team I interned for. Uh, really is a showcase for major league scouts. So... This so Kyle Murphy after he ended up not getting drafted went to the Chicago Dogs pitched very well out there uh, and then went to the Blue Crabs struggled a little bit early on but uh, but in this game he pitched his best game he has for the Blue Crabs by far five and two thirds innings four hits two runs uh, only one strikeout uh, did give up a home run to the former big leaguer Chris Shaw but uh, despite that he he lim- he got a lot of soft contact. And as what's really been the case with the Blue Crabs all year, all you got to do is get through the through the fifth inning or maybe in, or the sixth inning with a lead, and the bullpen's going to lock it down. And that's exactly what happened in this game. Uh, they went Kyle Murphy went five and two thirds, went to Dylan Brammer to get the last out of that uh, the the sixth inning. Then they went to Dalton Geeky, struck out the side. Andres Brasino has been dynamite all year, and Matt Latos got a little bit shaky in the ninth. Uh, but he locked it down like he always seems to do. So that, that's that's to the Blue Crab strength. They're not going to score a ton of runs. Uh, they're starting pitching solid, but if you can get that game to the back end of that bullpen, uh, they're they're going to be a dangerous team. And that's exactly what they did in Game One. The Ducks bullpen had a lot. The Ducks had a lot of trouble with that Southern Maryland bullpen, um, and they eventually were not able to pull it off. And it was a big, it was a stunning three to two win for the Blue Crabs. Oh yeah, no, I don't think we. Really expect them to come out like that. I think Long Island was kind of the heavy favorite, especially being, I don't want to say the hotter of two teams, because Southern Maryland did need to go on a little bit of a run to put themselves in that position. And I mean, Long Island, uh, if they would have won that last half, they would have won both halves and while well, they would have been playing uh, high point. So I'm not sure calling Long Island the hotter, the hotter team would have been correct, but they are or were certainly the better team on paper. So to be held to not just the two runs, but the seven hits they had all day is a little bit surprising. And to strand 16 guys on base is also never, never a great day either. Although Lou Ford was still, you know, Lou Ford being an ageless wonder, getting on base twice. Yeah. And and the interesting thing is I'm pretty sure they ditched the double hook DH rule for the playoffs now. They have, yeah. So... Uh, so that's a that's a that's a plus at least that you get to see Lou Ford all nine innings because Lou Ford is not going to play the field. Uh, I think he should. I think he can still play first. They, I thought he was more of an outfielder. You can put him in left field too. I think he could do both. To be quite honest, I, I wouldn't doubt Lou Ford at all. That's not a game I would go down. I uh, know Lou Ford just conjures ways to just perform, but but yeah, now Darren Downs. The the thing with Darren is he didn't even have like that bad of a start. Five yeah. innings still, only three earned runs, and he still struck out seven. I mean, what do you allow? Seven base runners? I mean, that's, especially by Atlantic League standards this year, not bad. And DeLeon, he came out of the bullpen, and he did very well. Four innings, one hit, two walks, six strikeouts, no earned runs, no runs, period. So he locked it down really well. It just turned into a bullpen battle, really, after the fifth inning, sixth inning, uh, when we really got into that, and honestly a pretty good game all the way around there by southern maryland to hold on and and manage to steal wandling island like you said that's a very difficult uh feat to accomplish so yeah for, for sure uh and then to southern maryland in game two uh with 
with the Blue Crabs just needing that one victory um, <clears throat> to to clinch a, a, a trip to the championship series, which I wish I could say the last time that happened. I can't even remember I don't off think the they, top of my head. It's I don't think they have because they only made the postseason like two other times in their franchise history. But I think they've made I, – I thought Somerset have, beat like, them. They may have the made in like 11 or 13, I want to say. They may have done that. I yeah, I, I think it was. I'm pretty sure Somerset beat them in one of the championships. I'll look that up, but yeah, no, Southern Maryland, uh, they weren't quite ready for game time in game two. No, not at all. And Scott Harkin, who's been so good for the Ducks all year, absolutely dominated. Oh, and that's yeah. really that's really the story of this game. I mean, seven shutout innings, no walks, six punchouts, uh, and and the Ducks' offense certainly woke up. Uh, they they hit Colton Mahoney pretty good as well as Patrick Baker, uh, so the the Ducks' offense and of course Boog Powell, who the Ducks were magically able to acquire, they were magically able to acquire Gastonia's best hitter for the playoffs, Funny how uh, and that just and just and just loan him back for uh, and despite the fact he's already signed to go back to Gastonia next year. Hmm, that's uh, that's an interesting one. It's while we're at it. While we're at it, can the Red Sox get Shohei Otani on a loan for the playoffs? Can 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 we do that? We'll give him back. We'll give him back for you next year. He's too frazzled. Uh, yeah, I, I'm. I'm not. I wouldn't say frazzled. I'm just more intrigued. Oh no, I said I meant I meant Otani is fragile. Oh, Otani is fragile. Well, he gets uh, hurt then, occasionally. And then maybe we'll take Tatis to the playoffs. Uh, See, that's fair. Padres couldn't make it. Maybe Juan Soto. Uh, look, it's a loan. As long as we give him back to you, I mean, that's all good. I, I believe it was technically to complete the Ryan Jackson trade. Yeah, I but, think. But man, uh, yeah, it's oh, uh, interesting. And I got the update on the Southern Maryland. They lost in the championship game in 2009, and they lost in 2015. Although to be fair, in fifteen they had a sub five hundred record, so I mean, like they probably shouldn't have even been there, but uh, yeah, yeah. So the the so the Blue Crabs at least in this game, I mean Scott Harkin just completely shut them down. Boog Powell had a great day at the play. Lombardozzi had two hits. Um, postseason folk hero Davidson Romero had an awesome day at the plate again. Scored four runs, two for three. Uh, with two walks as well, um, and it's funny you look at this Ducks lineup now when with Boog Powell in it, and Ramon Flores is your nine hitter. I know Ramon Flores has had his struggles this year, but uh, that's a really strong t- lineup top to bottom, and they were able to jump on the Blue Crabs and Scott Harkin's gem really just made this too much to overcome for Southern Maryland to tie the series at one. Oh yeah, like first off, when you only allow what. Four base runners to the first seven innings. That's going to be tough to overcome. That it's just the way that is. More so when you allow six across the whole game. There's just no way you're really going to be uh, getting there. Or eight across the whole game, as it looks like. But what really killed Southern Maryland, I think, more than just a dominant performance from you know everyone on the Long Island staff, Harkin, Monteskello, Pfeiffer, all of them did great. But when you go 0 for 11 with runners in scoring position. You can't expect to win a game like that. And that's just, it's just an unfortunate way for that to go in a postseason game. Obviously, 
Long Island has a lot more to play for, for because if they don't perform, they're going home, and they obviously don't want that. Uh, but moreover, again, not even like the best pitching performance from Southern Maryland. Uh, Mahoney just didn't really come up when they needed him to. Five and a third, four earned runs, seven hits, four walks. It's just not good enough. Baker comes in, two innings. He allows two more. And at that point, I think it became clear that that game was out of reach. All in all, I don't think it was a terrible game. Some guys did well. You know, Hibbert did okay, two for three. So he managed to, you know, do his job. Uh, Nathan's also gets a couple of hits too. So there were some bright spots. By and large, it was just total shutdown of Southern Maryland. And uh, that lineup you're mentioning, Will, it's pretty good on the Long Island side. Uh, three for five is Powell. Two for four is Labrandozzi. Romero, you mentioned he came up huge. Shaw came up huge again, too. Two for four there. Flores, two for four. In fact, it looks like everyone except for Mazzilli and uh, Frias managed to get a uh, get on base at some point in this game, at least that started. So, all in all, Southern Maryland didn't really show up. Long Island really did, and the result is kind of, well, in your face. Yeah, and you mentioned Chris Shaw specifically. Shaw's a guy who they picked up in the second half of the season and really kind of struggled throughout the entire second half of the season, which is kind of curious because he has a track record. He's been in the big leagues not too long ago, was in AAA earlier this year. Uh, so, in, But now he's starting to get hot now, and it actually kind of leads into game three where he hit a second home run of the series. Uh, and he, he's hitting 500, or he hit 500 in that Blue Crab series. So he's starting to turn it on now, uh, and if he can if he can keep that up, that's a big bonus for the Ducks. But uh, in this game three, it was um, the Ducks jumped out to a five nothing lead, or excuse me, a four nothing lead uh, after three innings. So it kind of looked like they were going to cruise. The Blue Crabs, to their credit, fought back uh, to make it a closer game. Uh, ended up being five four, and but the Ducks bullpen. Uh, did, did a great job, Rob Griswold getting a six-out save uh, to close this one out. The, now, we do have to give uh, credit to this on the Southern Maryland side, though. Yeah. Bill Thompson took the ball on two days rest. Yeah, that, that deserves he, a lot of props, even if it didn't go took, his way. Yes, he, took the, he didn't have it, admittedly. He didn't have it. I'm sure he, he's kicking himself, and it was not one of his better outings. Uh, but he took the ball on two days rest. And the start before that, he was starting the last game of the regular season to get the Blue Crabs in the playoffs. He started that one on three days rest and threw, I believe, like 100 and I think I'm pretty sure it was over 100 pitches in that outing. I'll double check on that now. But, he, I mean, regardless, so Thompson took the ball on on two days rest in this after going after taking a start on three days rest. So, yeah, Daryl Thompson in that start uh, on the last game of the regular season went seven strong innings, 83 pitches uh, to defeat Lexington to get them into the playoffs. So, um, I mean, he's a madman. He, he's a madman. And I know the start didn't uh, didn't go the way I'm sure he or the Blue Crabs wanted to. But, uh, man, what an, what an absolute gamer Daryl Thompson is. Oh, absolutely. And to be honest, he matched Joey Oreo. Mario goes five and two thirds. This is game three now. Uh, seven hits, four runs, all earned. 
three walks, four strikeouts, and a gave the home run. Uh, Thompson, meanwhile, he goes five, seven hits, four runs, only three earned, one walked, and he doesn't strike out anyone. But honestly, they were about even. It's Brammer who gave up the home run that's the difference maker, but even with that, a 5-4 game is not like this huge blowout game. I mean, Southern Maryland fought back hard. They managed to get within one. Obviously, Long Island gets the one in the top of the sixth, and that's your difference maker, and you know, there's no run scored from the seventh inning on, and Southern Maryland just kind of comes up with too little too late. But all in all, they, they came up and they performed. I mean, everyone got managed to really get on base or get a hit. They did something on the Southern Maryland side. Tucker Nathan's the lone guy that doesn't reach base. Uh, on the flip side, Long Island, meanwhile, they really banked on Chris Shaw, the home run, and Labondozzi going three for four, and then it gives you a point to Lou Ford who goes two for four as well. But outside of that, there really wasn't too much out of that lineup. A couple of guys get RBI, sure, but there wasn't too much else. There's one walk across the whole thing, and that's Boog Powell who winds up scoring. Ty Kelly winds up uh, getting that RBI mentioned a second ago. But really, if you want to look at overall team performance, it looks like, at least from the box score, obviously, that's always deceiving, that Southern Maryland outplayed them. It's just Shaw managed to get the home run when it mattered, and when that's really what matters at the end of the day is coming up with the timely hitting, and that's something that Long Island did that uh, Southern Maryland didn't. It's something that Long Island always seems to do, right? Uh, they, they always seem to get hot at the right time. I mean, listen, they made the they they've now they're now in the Atlantic League Championship Series for the fifth consecutive season. So uh, that's obviously incredibly impressive and a testament to what they really build there but yeah. they really they always get hot at the right time the timely hitting is never an issue for them uh and and yeah so i i think that the blue crabs at least it's certainly an accomplishment for them to get into the postseason this year they and they they pushed long island to the brink but uh, just really just didn't have enough uh, in those last few innings when they cut that lead down to 5-4 in Game 3. Uh, I know the one thing that'll that'll be difficult to swallow for the Blue Crabs is they won, they won the hard game. They won the most difficult game. Like starting a rookie on the road uh, at Long Island against a guy, Darren Downs, who's been there, done that, and they won that one. And, and they won that game. And uh, they, they all they had to do was take one of two at home, uh, with Daryl Thompson, albeit on Tuesday, two days rest starting, it, it's a tough one to swallow for them. But a credit to the Ducks. They they fought back. They didn't put their heads down uh, after losing that game one at home, and uh, they were able to take both on the road, and that, that's huge for them, and that's why uh, they're in the spot, and uh, in the spot that I think a lot of us expected them to be at the beginning of the season for sure. Exactly. I think I mentioned it on uh, on Twitter the other day. The route wrong, but we got the destination right, is what I said. And we got the teams right. We just didn't figure it'd be going this way. And, I mean, it is impressive for Southern Maryland, but at the end of the day, they just ran into a, uh, a bigger, scarier team. On the flip side of things, though, uh, we got Charleston, we got Lexington, and we got Charleston jumping out again to an early series lead in what can only be described as a 13-inning thriller. Yeah. You know, it's a pitcher's duel the whole way through. Each team gets one run in the ninth, or in the fourth, rather, my mistake. And 
really a dominant pitching performance by both starters. Jimenez, five innings, six hits, one walk, one earned run, three strikeouts. And then we can go a long while until we see another run. Uh, on the flip side, Hernandez, two hits across six innings, one run, nine strikeouts. So a really good performance out of him. And again, we could go a long while until we see another run. And uh, yeah, you just see a lot of pitches being thrown out for Lexington. No one going more than really an inning. Owens goes an inning and two thirds, but out, he's the last guy until we get to Rob Carson way down the line that throws multiple innings. And so it really was just a sheer pitcher's duel. As we saw, at least on the Charleston side, they surrender five hits across 13 innings. On the Lexington side, they surrender 10 hits across 12 and two-thirds innings. So yeah. it, is, uh, it was a tremendous battle back and forth. I mean, it, it, it was a classic, honestly. I mean, going 13 innings in a game where these two teams have been battling all year, the two newcomers uh, in the Atlantic League, and th- this Lexington lineup is so, so good. And the fact that Charleston was able to hold them to just two runs and five hits in 13 innings is uh, is unbelievable. I mean, that's unbelievable. And thank goodness they were able to come out with a win in that game because if they weren't, because uh, if they weren't able to come out with the win, I don't really know the recipe they would have to, to beating Lexington. Uh, on the Lexington side, though, I do have to say uh, the thing that Lexington's really been struggling with uh, as they've kind of had to retool this roster, the back end of their bullpen's been pretty good. Uh, but that middle relief has been that group that has kind of struggled in starting pitching. And they really showed up in that game one against Charleston, uh, against the Charleston lineup that was red hot coming in. They had a great second half. Unfortunately for, for Lexington, their offense just really wasn't able to do enough uh, in this game. But both bullpens pitched terrific. Uh, and eventually Charleston was able to get the win all the way in the 13th on Adario Pisano. Uh, game winning walk, game winning walk off single, uh, to give them a one zero lead, winning a home game. But uh, it's never easy to go to Lexington and win either. Uh, but it, it was a big, big win for Charleston in a great, great game. Oh yeah, I mean Pisano especially three for six. He he really was really the sole offense uh, for either side all day. And you always have a good chance to beat Lexington if you can keep Pug uh, or Pug. Klinsky and Baldwin off the board, keep them hitless. They managed to do that, and you saw the result there. Although Brandon Phillips did come up two for five, so I mean, but you kind of expect that from Brandon Phillips. Yeah, uh, he's a beast. Yeah, he's. I can't believe he's still playing at this point. But uh, anywho, we switch over to game two again. A very similar situation in the Long Island series. A team we didn't expect to be here is up. They need one more win over a team we kind of expected to be in the final, and so. Often running early. You see West Virginia, they get four. Charleston, I, the way the abbreviations don't make me say West Virginia. But Charleston gets off and running quick. Four, four runs across in the first inning. Then Lexington just kind of chips away. Two in the bottom of the first. Two in the bottom of the second. Two in the bottom of the third. And then that was it for the scoring. It winds up being a 6-5 to five game. Uh, so, again, I don't want to call it a pitcher's duel because, I mean... Hoover let up five runs across five innings, 11 hits. That's not really the definition of pitcher's duel. Test allows six runs and, and, you know, three innings. So it's hard to really sell it as that at the same time. Don't call though, it a bullpen duel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it definitely was that. That much is uh, undeniable. 
Yeah. I mean, you know, you had no runs scored after the third inning, uh, which the way this game started, you, you just, you really wouldn't have any idea. I mean, the score was again, six to five Lexington after, uh, after three innings of play. I mean, and one thing is obviously JJ Hoover's line is not going to look very good. Uh, but credit to him because, uh, it, his, his start did not get off to a good start at, at all. Yeah. And, uh, given up four runs. Uh, but he was able to, to really hunker down and give his team a chance to win, uh, with, with five innings, especially the night before. Cause, uh, after, after a game where your bullpen's got to throw 13 innings, uh, you can't have a starter come out early in the game. Uh, especially when you're playing the next day. So J.J. Hoover, at least being able to give them five innings was really big. Uh, they jumped all over Joe Testa, um, the, Char- the Charleston starter. Brandon Phillips hit a home run with a majestic bat flip. Oh, he um, was something else. As, as well as uh, Roberto Baldequin and Dennis Phipps as well, uh, getting in on the party against, against Joe Testa. But uh, the bullpen for... The bullpen for Lexington was really good. Sean Blackwell was excellent. Derek Self uh, throws a scoreless inning, and Austin Adams uh, locked it down for them. Uh, but it was a really, really close game, a great game. Charleston, the one thing that's going to sting for them, at 14 hits they had in this game, and they weren't able to come out uh, w- with the victory. But, you know, it's playoff baseball that will happen. But they, they, had ch- they had their chances to win this game. That, that's for sure, and I mean they had two they had two runners on against Austin Adams in the last inning. Uh, they had a runner on against Derek Self in the eighth. So um, missed opportunities certainly for Charleston in in that game too. But Lexington was able to just do enough and get the outs they needed to to force a game three. Yeah, and I do I do want to just point out I don't want lost in the shuffle. Rosario had an amazing game for Charleston too. Four RBIs across yeah. two hits. Also Paredes three for four too. There were guys that were stepping up. It's just a matter of all that came in the first third of the game and, and nothing really in the latter bit. And then they started leaving guys on base. And I mean, again, one for six with runners in scoring position is not going to cut it uh, in a game like this. So that set up an elimination game three. And unlike the first two games of this series, it just really, it never was really close. Lexington puts up three in the first. Charleston gets one back in the second. And then the third, Lexington just kind of put it away. Uh, they put up a seven spot. It winds up being 10-1. Final score ends up being 10-3. Uh, we could dissect this, but it really comes down to Pisano and Gonzalez came up and performed on the West Virginia side, on the Charleston side, and on the Lexington side. It seemed like everyone, with the possible exception of Baldequin, uh, reached base, scored a run, managed to get the job done. It was just an amazing performance there by Zach Westcott. And you see, actually, I think all three former Frontier League guys and Zach Westcott, Jeff Thompson, and Liam O'Sullivan get the job done on the Lexington <laughs> side. Flip side, Charleston, not as much. Bad start for Eric Sakula. And then it just Candelario tries to stop the bleeding, doesn't really. And then, sure, the rest of the bullpen manages to get it done. But, I mean, it really was at that point too little too late. And uh, Lexington just kind of marches on to a Atlantic League championship appearance, and that's and that's how Lexington has really won all year. They just overwhelm you uh, with their lineup and the depth of their lineup and how much power they have. And that's what you really saw. I mean, they homered four times off Eric Sakula in two and a third innings. 
I mean, Dennis Phipps, after coming over from Tri-City, I mean, hitting two, I mean, Dennis Phipps had three home runs in the series. Uh, he had a, a, an awesome, awesome series. Uh, two home runs off Sekula, Brandon Phillips homered again, uh, Jose Brasino, the former big leaguer, homered again, Tillman Pugh also homered in that third inning. So uh, Lexington just overwhelmed Charleston with their offense in a game that was never really competitive. I mean, when it's 10-1 after the third inning, it really takes the wind out of the sails. Kind of anticlimactic in some ways. You really hope that this was going to go down to the wire. Uh, certainly, on the other end, though, Dario Pisano had two home runs. Uh, so credit to him. He had an awesome season uh, for for West Virginia, Charleston, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, and Olmo Rosario, uh, he had three home runs in this series and through a, uh, a scoreless ninth inning. Or, excuse me, bottom of the eighth. Yeah. Oh. So he's got that going for him. He's been around a long time in indie ball. So uh, he was he had an awesome series uh, with three home runs as well. So uh, certainly a shout out to those guys. But Lexington's offense, they've been the best in the league all season. It hasn't changed now, um, and they just totally overwhelmed Charleston with that offense, with the power that they have, especially now that they were able to add Juan Silverio and Dennis Phipps from Tri-City uh, to finish the year. Um, I mean, when Ben Revere is your eight hitter and he goes three for three and Tillman Pugh is your nine hitter, like, come on, man. Like, that's it, it's unfair how, how good this Lexington lineup is. And that's that's and we'll get more into that when we get into the preview of how fun this matchup is going to be with the Long Island pitching staff and the Lexington in the Lexington lineup. Uh, but uh, but that that's really the story of, yeah. of this game three. Yeah, and I I do wonder if this would have went a little bit different for Charleston if they didn't have that COVID outbreak right before the start of the postseason. If they have yeah. most of those guys back, they have Kayaspo in there. If they're able to have those guys, does that change anything? Does that make it so it's like, okay, now we're going to be in this a little bit more competitive. Maybe you get a win in game one a little bit quicker. Maybe you manage to pull it out in game two. Maybe something like that. I don't know, but... Yeah, it, it's unfortunate that that happened and that throws a little bit of a shadow on it. But I think at the end of the day, we both agree that the the better team won, even if it's not by the matter we thought. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, um, especially because Lexington didn't really have a great second half. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but I do think that Lexington, just top to bottom, had the best roster uh, the entire year. Um, and... I'm, and I'm glad that we're eventually now we're. Uh, I'm glad we're getting to see the the championship series that we all wanted to see uh, between the Titans of Long Island and Lexington, and uh, the first time they've met at, uh, on Long Island since the first first series of the regular season. Really? Yeah, yeah they've played on Long Island first series of the regular season to open the year, uh, and I went up there for opening day. A lot of water fell from the sky, and I got ended up getting the and the game got rained out, and I was very sad. So yeah. I didn't get to see it, but now I get to see it tonight. So, or well, do a little tonight, bit more than see. We it. record on a Friday. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Uh, but um, so obviously, when you guys will hear this, we know what what will happen in game one. Um, but very very exciting series. Uh, Game one and two on Long Island this weekend. Then the series will shift to Lexington for the last three or 
Uh, we'll see many. what's necessary. Yeah, yeah, we'll see how whatever's necessary there. Uh, so it's going to be a really fun series. Super, super excited to see what happens. Yeah, and on that note, we might as well just dive right into talking about the series itself. Because you have two teams here that I think were going into the season. We all said these are going to be the two teams that meet the championship series. And again, the pathway to get there was a little bit different than we all thought. But at the end of the day, we were right about the teams that were going to be there. And so you have two teams that both have the potential to really step up either element of their game. But I feel like Long Island's your your team that's going to be able to hit, certainly. But pitching-wise, can be more of a strong suit and an edge on them over a Lexington team that we know has a lineup stack of one through nine of just bombers, but has struggled a bit in that middle relief bullpen, a little bit in the starting rotation too, you see it at times, but it seems to be an interesting matchup because really, like I said, either team here could just step up, win three games at any real moment uh, heading into those. And this is, this is going to be the exciting thing because you have, um, really just the Lexington lineup versus Long Island pitching staff. Uh, that's really been the story. Uh, it's really been the story all year. Um, and it, it's interesting because you look at, you, you, we talk, we could talk about how, how close that we believe this series is going to be. Uh, but they played each other 10 times in the regular season. Long Island won nine of them. Yeah. Long Island went nine and one against Lexington. So, um, for for what that's worth, I mean, which honestly, you wipe the slate clean in the postseason, uh, and I, I I think the fact that the Ducks won nine of ten meetings, we'll see how much that actually means. Uh, come uh, once this series ends up starting, uh, mm. but I, I think I mean, you look at game one starter. Of course, when you guys listen to this, you'll know what happened. Uh, but Eli Garcia for the Legends is going to get the ball, uh, five and five with a 770 ERA. Uh, he's certainly, he certainly struggled, uh, against Brendan Feldman of the Ducks, uh, is the game one starting matchup, uh, starting pitching matchup. Game two, uh, Francisco Jimenez, uh, their game one starter of the Charleston series will go for Lexington and he'll face Darren Downs for Long Island. Game three was it shifts to, um, as it shifts to Lexington, you have a really fun pitching matchup with Scott Harkin uh, for the Ducks and J.J. Hoover for Lexington. Uh, game four, TBA for the Ducks, but it'll be Zach Westcott for the Legends if necessary. We'll see if they maybe bring Westcott out of the bullpen if they really need him at some point. We'll have to see. It's the postseason. Yeah. Anything can happen. Uh, but it should be a really, really fun series uh, between this Long Island pitching staff and this unbelievable Lexington lineup. Yeah, it's really just two strengths going at it. And that's what makes it kind of hard to predict. Because, again, like you said, well, you just wipe the slate clean. And it's not even like last round gave us any indication. Because the two series mirrored themselves. You had the favorite lose a close game in, in game one. Then the favorite win a close game. And one of the series, and for Long Island's case, it was game three. In Lexington's case, it was game two. And then there was a blowout. Game two for Long Island, game three for uh, Lexington. So there's really no recent favorite to go with, which kind of makes picking a, a series winner all that much more difficult because no one really stands out here. Like I want to almost say like Lexington's my favorite just because we know their lineup is just unreal and all they really need is two or three really solid starts and then they're all set and good to go. Flip side, meanwhile... 
uh, if for Long Island, you know they're going to get good pitching, so all they really need is a couple of really good offensive performances, and they'll be set. And so that's what makes picking this series extremely difficult. Yeah, I agree. I think you can you could easily make a case uh, for either side. Uh, and and the, fun, the the funny fact about this series, Nick, is yeah. uh, obviously if you follow indie ball, you follow the Atlantic League, you know the Ducks are attempting to to go back to back. A little bit odd because of the COVID year, but uh, they're attempting to win a title in back-to-back seasons. Uh, Lexington technically is going for their third consecutive championship because they won the uh, South Atlantic League titles in 2018 and 2019. So so one of these streaks has to go, uh, even though obviously being in the South Atlantic League is wildly different from being in the Atlantic League, but the franchise itself... Um, is looking for their third consecutive title while the Ducks are looking for back-to-back Atlantic League titles. It is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. The series is going to be really close. I can, I see the series going five games, mm-hmm. uh, and I just can't wait. Oh, absolutely. Which Can we just say how wonderful it is they actually went to a best of five and not keeping it at best of three for this? Oh, thank God. Because like, best of three series just seemed like such a waste to me. Like, I'd rather just have a one-game wild card as opposed to a best of three, even. Just because it seems like such a waste to play three games. Like, either step it up to five or more, or keep it at one. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. I think that the best of three... And the other thing I didn't understand is the season ended on a Sunday, and you played... You started the playoff series the next day. Yeah. That really, How does it make any sense? Yeah, I would have thought you would have said, okay, one day for travel and then move on from there. Like, I understand you want to keep everything compact and, you know, keep everything moving because the season's already running long. And as it stands here now, if we do wind up going five games, I mean, what's it going to take? Roughly a, a week or so to play the five-game series? Six days, right? Uh, yeah, so yeah, you would think. Yeah, so it would Six end. Days, yeah. yeah, so it would end on twenty-one. So I mean, that's already pretty close to November. Probably the almost certainly the latest the Atlantic League season's ever gone. So, I mean, I, I understand wanting to keep everything compact, but if you're going to do that again, just go to a one-game wild card. I'd rather come down to that. Which imagine if they would have done that though, because then we would have had. Charleston, Southern Maryland, and Charleston. Yeah. Now that really would have made things a, a lot more interesting of a final there. Well, uh, we would have had a much different conversation. <laughs> really, probably honestly, I'd probably be saying the opposite. I'd be like, "Look, you can't tell one thing off of a one-game wild card. You need at least a three-game set." But yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's funny. But like you know what? The, this so Nick, I will say this though. Yeah. Before we end up wrapping up. Yeah. This uh, this occasion, it's it's a very special occasion that Long Island and Lexington are playing in in the playoffs. Yeah. So much so, ready for it? Ready yeah. for this? You're gonna? Are you sitting down for this one? I always am. Okay, so this this occasion is so special that the Atlantic League posted about it on their Instagram. Oh, I was wondering if he was going to bring this up first. Yeah, but but, but not team. only did they post on their Instagram. They posted a, a a photo of the Long Island Ducks and their championship celebration, but not the other team. <laughs> only one of them. They only posted not even not a graphic. Nope, not a graphic. God forbid they create any sort of graphic. I mean, uh, that that's too much to ask. They couldn't even just uh, take the one Lexington used either. 
No, no, they could, couldn't do that. Couldn't like, put the logos against each other. Nope. You just include one picture of the Long Island Ducks team celebration and say, oh, by the way, this is the championship series. See, the fix is in. The fix is in. That, that's oh, clear what that means. Yeah. But yeah, like and, the, the, the league's social media presence might be the most underwhelming thing I've ever seen. And, and I will say this because. The Lexington Legends fans, uh, which I've been really impressed with the fan base all year, they let them know in that comment section. Oh, yeah. They let them know. Uh, they let the Atlantic League know that they did not appreciate being excluded from, from that, uh, from that title, uh, that title, whatever you want. I guess announcement? Yeah. So, like, for example, uh, okay, yeah, no, I'm I'm gonna count how many posts they've had this entire season. Ready? Over under, I'm sitting at two and a half. We're gonna count. I'll I'll count this one because they did technically start the season. Nothing, no reference to the season. Okay. They have made five Instagram posts since from the league account Honestly, since the season started. That. Five. That's number way one. More number one, Happy Memorial Day. Okay. Number two, Juneteenth celebration. Okay. Uh, nearly three weeks later. Yep. Then congratulations to the Long Island Ducks on clinching the first half North Division Championship with uh, a nice graphic and uh, uh, the team photo celebration. Then just a, a photo. Then uh, their next post: congratulations to the Lexington Legends, winners of the first half uh, first half South Division title. Just like the logo of Lexington Legends, nothing else. Yeah. Uh, and no mention of who won the second half. So I wouldn't know if I was looking at the Instagram who won the second half titles. Yeah. I have no idea. It didn't list it. And then just the Ducks celebration uh, and saying that the Ducks and Legends are meeting, despite no mention of the Legends. Uh, and uh, well, the Legends fans, let them know, let's just say. Oh, God, yeah. Like, I, I honestly want to know, is it that hard for the league to just make a couple of posts? Like, it doesn't even have to be a daily thing, but, like, even weekly. Like... We've been through this before and how important social media is and, you know, the whole line. We've done this before. But it honestly is amazing that they just can't be bothered to post that often. And it almost seems like they just pick a random team and let them handle the social media for the year. And, like, mm-hmm. I, I find it hard to believe they couldn't at least get a social media intern to do this. Like, really? You couldn't even just take a graphic from another team to post this stuff? It, it's honestly kind of surprising. Or even subcontract it out? Because who is it that... uh like I think it's like Nats WRXT or WRX something like that that makes the, the fun graphics that uh, Ryan keeps posting. Oh yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yes. like they couldn't find him and go, hey, do you mind if we take the graphic and post it here? We'll give you credit for it. Like they couldn't be bothered to do that. Really? Nope. I just you want to see the league succeed, and just sometimes they like to get in their own way, but. Yeah, I, I guess we'll wrap it up with just quickly. Who do you think is going to win this series? Who do you think is going to lose it? How many games is it going to go? I'll let you start off there. It's you can make a case absolutely for either side. Um, yeah. However, I'm going to pick Lexington, and I'm going to pick Lexington in five games because I uh, I think their lineup is insanely good. Uh, and I think it's going to be able to, I think it's going to be just enough to put them over the top. Uh, and I think their pitching will do enough. Uh, I, I like the, I like Zach Westcott going game four. Uh, I think that, I, I, I think 
I'm looking at that matchup as uh, as an interesting one. Mm-hmm. And despite the fact that on paper, at least in the pigeon matchups, it looks like the Ducks have the advantage. I think the offense is really going to catch fire, uh, and I really and I think the Legends are going to come out with the with the championship in five games. To be different and for the sake of fun, I'm going to pick Long Island because, like you said, either or could really win it. It really is such a coin flip. I'll say the Ducks in four, just because I have this weird feeling that we're going to talk this up, and then because everything has to get undercut around here, we're going to get undercut. It's going to go four. I like Long Island. I think they're a more complete team, however slightly more complete they are. And uh, I, I just got to, I just have a feeling about them. Then also the fix being in on them, you know, that, that also helps as well. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, give me Long oh, Island in four. Yeah. Hey, like if it happens, it happens. Why else would they only post about one team? Hey, so that that's where we're at. We'll see if we're right next week, and hopefully next week we won't have tech issues and we'll be able to go for a longer period of time than this. But all in all, still a, a very solidly length show, I think. Yeah, I I, I had fun. I think uh, everyone is well informed now on the uh, on the Atlantic League Championship Series, and that's what we strive to do around here. Is- well yeah, informed and, yep, and entertain as well. That's also important. So on that note, we'll go to the plugs and then we'll get out of here. If you want to follow the show, you can do so on Twitter at IndieBallPod, on Instagram at IndieBallReport, and at ALPB underscore news. You can find all the show notes, so links to anything we use today, which will literally just be a link to uh, some box scores. That's really it. And uh, well, links to anything we've ever discussed on the show, really, will be on the website as well as... Uh, articles and all the episodes so be sure to check that out it is indieballreport.com be sure to swing over to that and uh yeah if you could we'd appreciate your rate uh rating reviewing subscribing to the show wherever you get your podcast to an institute podomatic uh, spotify apple podcast google podcast deezer really any major uh, podcatcher has us at this point including iHeartRadio. So that's another little fun one for you. And so with that said, do we have anything else left to add? Ooh, Red Sox start the ALCS tonight against the cheating Astros, hoping for the best. I do want to point out, Yankee fans calling both teams cheaters is just hilarious, by the way. I mean, that's just not, it's just not like either, it's also just not like paying attention to the facts of what happened in either case, so. I'll I'll go to the grave defending it. So, do you want an eye watch? What's that? I was just asking if you want an eye watch. An eye watch? Yeah, nice Apple Watch. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, the the one that both teams got in trouble for. I mean, yeah, yeah that one. Sure. I'm sure that, that that works for me. Stones, watch where you're throwing them when you live in a glass house. Regardless. The only thing I got to add this week, volunteered at an LPGA event, really enjoyed it. It was a really fun uh, tournament to uh, volunteer at and to work at. Also, the LPGA pros, in addition to being extremely talented, you know, some of the best golfers in the world, they are also are very accessible and very friendly. I saw so many golfers just stopping to sign stuff in the middle of, like, competitive tournament rounds, rounds that counted towards the tournament, and then, like, just taking photos and everything with fans. That I was like, wow. I was really impressed by that because I've gone to PGA events before, 
And the PGA Tour professionals are just not really like that. You know, I don't blame them. In the rounds that count, you know, you're focused on winning the tournament. That's your goal. You don't want distractions. But I just thought it was like a really stepping above to do that. To stop in the middle of your round to sign something for a kid. I just, I, I was really impressed by that. So definitely enjoyed it. Definitely uh, plan on doing that again. So highly recommend that. That's awesome. I know. Yeah, I thought it was amazing. But yeah, so I think that's uh, just about all we have to add this week. So uh, we'll end off this episode like we end off every episode. Don't forget to play ball.